it's easy to tell people what they should do. It's easy to tell influencers that they should speak up. It's easy to tell companies that they're not doing enough. Who's right? Let's speak to two legends who have experience working in the NBA and what their perspective is. As COVID took over, the game stopped playing and social issues really came to the forefront and they started to matter not only to those who are impacted, but those who are on the sidelines. Let's take a listen. To set the platform, you know, you have experience in the entertainment field, in the sports realm. What were your experiences like when you played in terms of racism? There's two different worlds that entertainers and professional athletes experience. There's the world of when you were in an arena, people are cheering you on and the energy and everybody loves you. And that's one world. The second world is when you're out anonymously in this, let's say you're in New York City, you just play in the garden, people are cheering you, and you go to the streets of New York and taxi cabs pass you up because of your skin color. Or you go into an upscale clothing store, you're followed or you're not service as well as someone else. And it doesn't matter what city, doesn't matter what part of the country, that was pretty consistent when I played the game of basketball. You lived in two separate worlds as it related to racism and how people viewed you. How did you manage those experiences to think that you entertain people at such a high level and then to see that you could walk into a space, um, be off the court and be treated you know, unfairly. It was somewhat shocking, but expected. The time that I grew up, those type of incidents were more normal than not. And you just sort of shift your head. Anger certainly was a big part of it. You were pissed off at what was happening. And it wasn't because of who you were. It was just because of fairness was not in play. And you were treated different because of the color of your skin and it did it made made me angry but not to the point of anything than just trying to play basketball you you're not as socially conscious during the time i played simply because so many strides had been made so much progress had been made and it wasn't you didn't have social media a lot of things you a lot of things were happening but you didn't see them happening and you live pretty much in your own world, which made it difficult to have too much anger where you acted out or you said things publicly that would have been considered inappropriate. And so one thing you talked about is not having like the same access to all this information and being able to see these different incidents with particularly black men. What are some of the similarities that you still see today that are may be heartbreaking because we're so many years out and because we've grown on the level of knowledge of recognizing there are differences and creating programs to create a better life for African-Americans. What are some of the similarities that you see today and it's still just as heartbreaking as it was when you experienced it yourself? I would say that today is certainly not like years ago. Number one, progress has been made. And their strides have been made. And you turn on the TV now, you see people of color represented throughout 
Hollywood. You see people of color represented uh, in the boardroom. You see people owning their own record label. You see so many positive things that are happening that we would have never seen when I was growing up. I hold Hollywood complicit in this diversity, equity, and inclusion deficit that we're seeing because when I watch TV and watch the older shows, I, I think back when I was a kid, we didn't see positive people of color on TV much, nor on the movie screen. Hollywood impacted. We didn't have social media, so all we had was network news and TV for entertainment. They drove that narrative uh, of what we saw, and because of that, they shaped not only what people not of color saw, but what we saw as people of color. Uh, I don't think I don't think anyone should say that progress has been made. First of all, we need to recognize that racism and discrimination will always be with us. As long as I'm living, you're going to have that in America. You're going to have it in other countries. Uh, the groupthink mentality is prevalent. It always, always has been. The tribalism philosophy has always been a part of our human race in all different parts of the country. However, we do expect some semblance of fairness and equity and inclusion, uh, especially here in the United States. I think to expect total, total diversity, equity, and inclusion is a mistake because it just won't happen. We just want most people to be fair. But the biggest thing that breaks my heart still is how law enforcement sees people of color and how they react to us as if we're all a threat that they are threatened to the point where they have to use violence to the level that they should not have used. As a black male, I've experienced uh, the view of policemen, and I know in neighborhoods we view them as the enemy. We always have viewed policemen as the enemy, not as a friend, not someone that's there to serve and protect. And that has perpetuated somewhat I think in the, the, the mentality with policemen of them seeing us as seeing them as a threat and they don't really relate to us. They're trying. They don't relate to us on a level that will make it healthy. So I would say it breaks my heart still to see policemen react in the way that they react. It, it breaks my heart to still see people of color still not take advantage of opportunities that are presented for us to advance and do great things. It breaks my heart that we're still blaming, totally blaming a society on things that sometimes we have control over, sometimes we don't. It breaks my heart to know that racism, discrimination is still a big part of of the fabric of our country. So it's a number of things that still break my heart, but my heart is happy for a number of things also. And so I think it's, for me, it's, it's normally a good balance between the two. You said um, a key point when it comes to, like, black men, and that's what we continue to see targeted, um, which shaped the Black Lives Matter movement in the midst of COVID. And we saw a lot of athletes stand up in a way that, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen. Um, and working in the sports space, it seemed like it was, something that was frowned upon for them to stand up a little too tall if they did. Um, what were some of the things that you observed during COVID as players stood up against police brutality and using their voice in their platform? I thought they were very bold. 
and their voice and what they said. I thought they were lacking sometimes in background and researching the history of certain things. Uh, when you have a voice, you have to make sure that your voice is transparent. You have to make sure that it's accurate. You have to make sure that it's pure. Uh, you have passion behind your voice. Sometimes that can cause you to say things that maybe are not in line, but if you take passion and then you take a little bit of transparency and knowledge and research, and now you speak, then I think it carries more weight. But I was very uh, proud of the voices. In spite of everything I just said, I was very proud of how they stood up for the causes that they thought were very important. Do you feel like there was a lot of pressure put on them to stand up? Because I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about the social media platform and you know, fans feeling as if because you have the money, because you have the spotlight, you need to say something. So maybe players are feeling more pressured than, you know, knowledgeable to speak out on things. Do you think that's fair to an athlete to be pressured into a space to speak? Well, I think it's very unfair. I think it's very unfair to pressure anyone into, because everyone has a position and a role that they can serve. Some people, athletes can be out front and vocal. Some athletes can move behind the scenes politically and in the boardrooms. Certain athletes can move throughout community to make an impact. I think it's wrong to put every athlete in the same same little ship and say, everyone should vocally protest. No, everyone shouldn't vocally protest because that might not be what they do very well. However, they can do some other things behind the scenes that can affect change. And just so you're doing something positive, to me, that's the most critical, the most critical piece of us and athletes, athletes trying to make sure they, that their voices are heard. I thought the NBA went overboard though with how they presented diversity, equity, and inclusion. I didn't totally agree with all the logos and things, things on the jerseys, on the basketball court. I thought that you alienated more people than you probably had embraced. You elevated more people than, than what you should have, and you probably could have brought more people to the table by being a little more subtle with, with the visual that they saw, and then gave them a little bit more of the narrative as you went along. But a lot of people just turned off it, as you know, <laughs> what they saw in the jerseys and what they saw on the basketball court. Right. You became blind to it after a while or, you know, deaf to the comments because it, it oversaturated the game a little bit. And it is yeah. more than a game, but. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. No, but it's not more than a game. That's what we need to realize. It's it's a game of basketball. <laughs> pure and simple. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game of football, pure and simple. Nothing will change if if uh, if if we didn't have basketball. We'd be sad for a little bit. So it's, it is just a game. However, you can take that game platform and use it for the good of our society. I know that's what they were attempting to do. I know that's what they did to some extent. But remember, the people that embraced what they saw were people that would have embraced it had you just not done anything. The people that you want to get to embrace it don't want things just slammed in their face because they're going to just not watch or not respond. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's 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 kind of generally what we have in our society. Let's re re rewind that because I feel like the NBA uses this um, slogan a lot, not only for the Black Lives Matter movement, but prior to um, my years in the community, we use it a lot. That basketball is more than a game. How do you feel about that? I feel basketball is just a game. 
that's all that's all it's ever been. It's a game it's, and it's there for entertainment. Uh, and then players, front office and teams can take the power of the game and the audience of the game and do great things within our community and with our, within our country. But make no mistake, it's still just a game and it's a game that people want to be entertained. It's the way people want to relax and they don't want to be filling on the edge watching a basketball game because of what's on your jersey. They have to try to interpret it themselves or what's on the basketball court. Black Lives Matter was a wonderful movement. However, it was not explained very well <laughs> to uh, all these people that not of color that were not on, that was not already on that train. So because of that, I, I do workshops on it. Because of that, that message was just muddled. And I have to, every time I do a workshop, I have to explain what it means, Black Lives Matter, beyond the narrative that was put out there. That makes sense. And I can definitely see that perspective. And I think we see that a lot with social media having communities being built underlining communities, you're building a community that would already have been passionate and cared regardless of what is being said. So I could definitely see that. Um, if you if you placed yourself in the NBA today, do you think you would have played in the bubble in Orlando with all the things that were happening at that time? Well, absolutely, because I love basketball. <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is, regardless of what's happening in the world, you love the game, you love the sport that you play, or you should. And you love it to the point where you're going to play it. Uh, will there be times that these false protests were effective? Absolutely. Would you maybe not play in a game because you want to make a statement? Absolutely. But the bottom line is, overall, the game is what we love. So the game is what we're going to play. I love that from because not every um, athlete or legend is going to be as honest about it. It's about the game and period, point blank, and that's what I love. But let's look back um, at the ownership of these teams. Do you feel like they're invested in this Black Lives Matter movement or they're just a part of the organization that's putting together for marketing pieces? I think you're, you're so much on the money for what you're saying or the question you just asked. What is the purity of the movement? Uh, to me, you should go beyond, beyond Black Lives Matter, first of all. And let's get to the, the symptomatic things that are happening within our communities that's causing us not to see the level of diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout, throughout our school system, throughout our government, throughout our leadership, throughout so many things we're not seeing that. Yeah, that goes beyond Black Lives Matter. Uh, and we, and I think the ownership, they're so sensitive to what the public thinks. As opposed to, okay, what can we really do to, to make an impact, to change lives beyond whatever the public thinks? When you have pure motives, good things and positive things will happen within your community. And then the teams have to show from the top all the way throughout the organization that yes, we embrace diversity and inclusion. If you don't have a woman, if you don't have a female, one of your top executives for an NBA team, you don't embrace it. If you don't have an African-American, then you don't embrace it. If you don't have a Hispanic, then you're not really embracing diverse equity inclusion. But you just hire people here and there and show the faces on their website and say, we just hired this person, that person. But yet, at the very top level, you've done absolutely nothing to, to, to say we really believe in having a diverse background, diverse opinions, diverse all these different things that we say are important, until you see that, 
then they're not totally committed to diversity, equity, inclusion. They might be committed to Black Lives Matter and talking about policemen and all, but not to diversity, equity, inclusion. Do you feel like a lot of companies, because I've seen Netflix step up, I've seen even some NBA teams step up, um, that their hands have have been forced to fill those roles, as you mentioned, to not have basically a, a white male dominant executive team. Well, I hope they have because they need to. <laughs> I mean, they need to do what's <laughs> they need to do what's right and what's fair and what's equitable. And people always talk about, well, we tried, we hired this woman, we hired this uh, this person of color, and it just didn't work out. And I always tell people when they say that, well, how many white people have you hired that just didn't work out? When they just didn't work out, did you just give up on that? Did you just say, well, every white person's not going to work out, so we're not going to hire white people? Absolutely not. You continue to hire them. Yet, when it's someone of a color, a female, you use the excuse, well, we hired them, but they just didn't do well in this environment. And I just think that's just a cop-out. And what's really shocking is the number of corporations and businesses that are not doing anything, nothing, absolutely nothing, in spite of this movement. That's what's shocking. You you have a lot of experience coaching and guiding people through processes, right, to be better individually with companies. And I hear it even through your answers. What advice would you give, I think, from the highest level, the owners of the NBA and then players, when we are in a time where people are sensitive to these topics on one side and two, change needs to happen on the other side? Mm -hmm. Two things I would say. Number one, let's get the common language right. Let's make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. Everyone needs to understand what Black Lives Matter means, first of all. We just can't just say Black Lives Matter. Everyone needs to understand what diversity means. Everyone needs to understand what, what the microaggression means. Everyone needs to understand discrimination, what it means. Everyone needs to understand the language and what it means and how it, it is applied in our society. Otherwise, we're giving messages because people are not understanding what's being said. They think they understand, but they really don't understand. And it's not necessarily their fault because we just had educated them enough. And number two, I would say that we have, we have to have leadership. Leadership, you must, you must be committed. I mean, totally committed and intentional about diversity, equity, inclusion. You must be intentional about every decision you make to hire someone, intentional about every decision you make to promote someone. You have to be intentional about every decision you make to train or develop the people that's, that's, that works for you. You have to make every decision intentional throughout your organization to achieve the goal of diversity, equity, inclusion. Otherwise, the narrative of riots and the narrative of protests is going to drive your decision-making, and that's going to be more short-term. It will not be sustainable, and it will not be long-term. I think that was a great answer, and it's always lovely to leave with a golden nugget in terms of advice for youth, for uh, young management who are striving to, you know, put their footprint in this world and leave a legacy for their children. What advice would you give them in terms of to continue to fight the good fight? And the good fight looks different for everyone, not necessarily to your point of saying the Black Lives Movement, but creating a legacy for their families such as you have. I would say live your life with a sense of excellence. Because as you as you understand the, the concept of excellence and greatness, then your platform will be a lot stronger, your reach will be a lot wider, and your impact will be a lot greater. So always try to get better, strive to get better every day so you can you can reach greatness. And then when you reach greatness, you start 
pulling people up with you. You start changing the world. A lot of times we don't do that. We're just out here having conversations, but let's have conversations with us personally, including myself, being the best that we can be on this particular day. That's awesome. I love that. And it, I hear community in that, right? Like it wasn't done. You didn't do what you did over your years by yourself. You did it with, you know, support around you and asking for help and being willing to contribute to others' success and therefore receiving. Um, well, the, so. the most powerful thing we have is the ability to create experiences for others so they can get better. It's more. It's not just about what we're doing. It's about how how can we help others be, to become better. That you hit it on the head with that. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your wisdom, um, and I thank you for just taking the opportunity to share some of you with all of the listeners. Well, thank you very much. Let's go. Let's embrace diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's get it done. <laughs>